Welcome to the Prime Life Project Podcast, a place to help you unlock your full potential, both mentally and physically, to become the best version of you. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Life Project Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel James, and today I'm joined by US rapper Tariq. But as always, if you take any value from today's show, please do us a massive favor leave us a review and share it with a friend. Help us spread the word to help as many people as possible. Now, today's episode is absolutely incredible. Me and Tariq had one goal in mind, and that was to add as much value as we possibly could to you, the listener, and I think we went above and beyond. So, Tariq Trotter is a professional recording artist and songwriter with over a decade's worth of experience in the music industry, which has seen him open for such artists as Fabulous, Ice Cube, and French Montana. However, over the last five years, Tariq has traveled extensively through mental, emotional, and spiritual depths of self with the purpose of discovering the infinite supply we hold within so that he may help others do the same. And that is exactly what he does in today's episode. You guys are in for a real treat. So as always, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Life Project podcast. I'm your host, Daniel James, and today I'm joined by Tariq. How are we, Tariq? Amazing. Amazing. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so, so much for having me on. I, like I said, once we've got this arranged, so for, for anybody listening, uh, I've never spoke to Tariq before. This is the first time we're talking, uh, but as a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mr. Leo Flowers, that got us in touch. And even just conversing with you over email, I knew this was going to be good. I, I, <laughs> I, felt, I, I felt your energy over email and I was like, this is going to be good. Well, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been pumped to, to get here because podcasts are a huge part of my life. Um, it's, you know, podcasts are food to me. And I mean that mm. with my heart, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's what I consume on, and podcasts have played a, a great role in like the person who, who I am today. So, so that's let's go, why let's I'm go so excited. Yeah. yeah. Let's go that. Let's go the right way then. So, so what kind of podcast you listen to? So for the most part, uh, I'm listening to personal development podcasts or uh, real estate podcast because I'm, I'm really, uh, really, really into real estate. Um, sometimes the personal development podcasts don't come in a form of um, like literally a personal development podcast. It'll just be a person who has a great story. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a podcast called The Armchair Expert, and I'm not an active listener. Mm-hmm. And I think it's with Dax Shepard. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, um, no, no. But he had... Um, Ashton Kutcher on it okay. uh, a couple of months ago and a friend sent sent me the podcast and um, I'm not even really into Ashton Kutcher but I know about his journey uh, post acting and like where he is now and you know he has like an amazing goal to eliminate child pornography within the next like 10 years or something and um, that wasn't really what interests me but it's more so how did he get from being, you know, this comedy guy in, in the acting space to taking on such a heavy project? I wanted to know about the psyche behind that. And so um, that's one of the ways that I'll end up consuming content. And I'm a big translator. So yeah. I can take something that is not at all meant to communicate, you know, at face value, what I end up receiving from it, if that if that makes sense. I, I think that's the art of it, though, really, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. if you can go throughout life, almost being a student and have any conversation with anybody and have the most basic person, whether it's someone working at McDonald's behind the cashier, say something to you, but you can listen to it 
and be like, wow, like that was quite deep. But some people just don't, some people are so closed to it. And I'm not talking about anything spiritual here, even though I'm very, very spiritual. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about walking around being woke or anything like that. I'm just talking about on a level. Like people, you can people can learn from anybody in any situation ever if you are open to hearing that. So I love the fact you said that you listen to these podcasts and you are listening for things that aren't really there. Mm-hmm. I exactly. love that. I love exactly. that. You just nailed it, Daniel. Like that's that's the key. It's life becomes so much more fulfilling and enriching when you when you move and operate like that. You know, just as a student of life, mm-hmm. and um, there's there's magic everywhere. Like you said, you just you, you know you kind of got to be open to it. There's there's two things I learned during lockdown. Well, I learned quite a lot during lockdown. Obviously, our lockdown was different to your lockdown. You guys just went crazy and just thought, well, <laughs> talk this. We're going to do our own thing. But over in England, we were quite well behaved, as you'd expect. Um, so during lockdown, I did a, a lot of reading, research and podcasting, and all that sort of stuff. And one thing that really struck me was about being teachable. Mm. Are you teachable? And what this person meant by this is, do you have a high willingness to learn and a high acceptance to change? Basically meaning that the person that you are, you can't be the same person you are as what you're going to be. You have to change. Ooh. You can't say the same. So are you teachable? And I kept, oh, and to say that hit me, and stayed with me for months is not a lie. I thought about that a lot because as you said, it hit me in a different way that it was meant to be intended. Because it made me think, am I really making the most out of every opportunity that's presented to me? Does that make sense? Absolutely. It makes and perfect it just, sense. And it just, am I teachable? Because I'm, I'm talking to my clients about they've got to listen to me. They've got to be open to change. But I thought, am I being as open to it as possible? So I love the fact that you listen. So what other then podcasts do you listen to? Because I'm a massive listener to, I don't know if you've heard these guys. I think you will because I've heard you mention uh, Grant Cardone. So Grant Cardone is absolutely brilliant. He's brilliant for the property development stuff. Uh, I love his motivational stuff. I'm a big fan of Andy Fritzella and Ed Milet. They're my two go-to guys. Have you heard of them? I haven't heard of those last two, no. Listen to them. Listen okay. to them. Um, I know that you don't swear in your rapping due to, um, like, obviously with your mum and stuff. Like, and that's, by Except the way, for everything I am three. Yes, yes. <laughs> so um, just to do quick for audience know what we're talking about. So uh, before I came on, I was just saying I was listening to Tariq's music. Uh, and I've heard podcasts before where he's basically mentioned he doesn't swear in his rapping because his mum doesn't like swearing. And he basically wants everybody to be able to listen to his music in the car with their parents there and not have it turned off because it's got swear words in, which I think is awesome. So during this episode, I'm going to try not to swear as much as I do. That's my goal. <laughs> so my point in saying that is that uh, if you listen to Andy Fritzella, he swears an awful lot. Now, Andy the reason why I'm bringing this up with you, Tariq, is because something that I wanted to go into with this is that I've heard you talk about before is about who you hang around with can influence massively how you are as a person. And I think everyone would have heard the saying, mm-hmm. the people you hang around with, the five people you hang around with the most, uh, basically turns around, uh, you sort of become them essentially. So if you hang around with broke fat people, you're more than likely you're going to end up broken fat. Yeah. Now, you then mentioned about how you listen to people and you class them as your friends, like Grant Cardone, multi multimillionaire. You've never met the bloke. He has no idea who you are, but you class him as a friend. This, that, don't we talk about listening to things and you've taken that in? Andy Fritzella and Ed Milet are my two online mentors. And both of those guys have no idea I exist, but they saved my life. Oh. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. They saved my life. The podcasts and the information they gave me to help me get my shit together, I cannot ever repay them to. 
and they have no idea I exist. So when I heard you say that you do the same thing, I had to touch on it. I had to. Yeah, I love that. Um, and that's it, man. It's, you know, I realized, you know, in real life, we have friendships and I'm sure that you have close friends who are not as fired up about podcast as you are. And it's not their responsibility to like, you're the guy that, that runs a podcast, you know, that's, that's your thing. Um, but now let's say you want to become better at running a podcast and you want to learn more about it. And unfortunately, not even unfortunately, but at the moment, you know, you, you can't really learn from your friends cause they're just not into it. They don't do that kind of stuff. And, you know, let's switch it to swimming or riding a motorcycle or becoming a millionaire, whatever. If your friends are not into that thing, in real life, we don't just, you know, ditch our friends and then, you know, go replace them with other people. Um, because even doing that on a practical level, it takes time to build relationships. But the truth of the matter is, thankfully, in this day and age, information spreads so easily. It's it's so mm. it's so attainable. Yeah. And so, the second that it clicked for me. It's like, okay, if I, if I want to learn how to change my life in whatever way that, you know, that, that might come or present itself, then why don't I just go and be a student to people that are already doing it? And I'll hang out with them the same way that I hang out with my friends. So, you know, when, when I'm listening to a podcast, it's, it's so, it's so enriching because I'm listening with such great detail because I'm like, you know, sometimes you can listen to a podcast that it's, it's an hour too long or maybe even three hours long. Mm. And there's only one thing that you come away with, but that Mm. one thing you can hold on for the rest of your life. And so I never want to miss that moment. And so I'm listening with such detail that I, I feel like, um, like one of the podcasts that I listen to, it's, uh, it's called mind Valley. And it's run by a guy named Vishen Lakiani. And I feel like I'm friends with the audience in that podcast because he does a lot of live podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm, my friends are in that audience. I don't know these people. I, have no, I can't see them. I'm just listening to my ears. But I'm listening with such great detail that I feel a connection. You know, so my best friends now, and I, when I say friends, it's just it's about the amount of time that I'm spending consuming what these people are are you know putting out into the world that's yeah. what we do with friends and anyways if we're bowling with friends we're spending time consuming what you know who our friends are so my best friends now are you know will smith tony robbins grant cardone warren buffett right and you, I, they don't need to know me i don't really care that they know me but they're my friends and i say that because the same way you just mentioned you know these people they they change and save your life they they help you step into the version of you that you are now. That yes. at one point mm. you were not even capable of seeing mm. because you were cutting off the magic, you know. And man, it's it's insanely life changing and and liberating when you when you come across that truth. Exactly, and that's why I set this podcast up. It's almost like more, my way of giving back. Yeah. I can't put it anyway any better than that. And people will listen to me like I'm gone out. And again, I, I hope that, and I, I, I know this is true. I know people have listened to my podcast and gone on to listen to other podcasts, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. If I've opened up the door to people to listen to podcasts, yeah. amazing, amazing. Like th- that's the thing for me. It's like, it's a completely selfless act. 
Like I'm trying to get people on like yourself that have, have gone through some shit and have sought themselves out to give hope and inspire people. But it's as you said, when you're listening, it's like you're there. You, you're yes. interacting with them. Like you, you chat and, and you're literally saying to yourself like, yeah, I, I get you. Exactly. And, and, and people probably <laughs> listen to you like, what's this guy on about? You sat there on the tube or the train or whatever and people thinking, Who, who's he talking to? But that's what I try and do. I, I, it, as weird as it sounds, I try and submerge myself into the podcast. I try and relate to it. And that's why with these podcasts here, I, I try to do the same thing. I try and try and come at it from all these different angles so people can relate to it. Now, the bizarre thing about this is that you're not like a personal development person. You're not like a, uh, a life coach. You're not a, a therapist or counselor. You are a rapper. But before a rapper, you'd like, you're a guy that's gone through a hell of a lot of shit that then fell into rapping and has then used rapping as a way to almost therapize himself like get what you're feeling onto paper like your your raps are your journals if that makes sense that's yeah. how it comes across to me absolutely uh, from listening to your music uh and then through that it's then led you on a journey of self-discovery to the person that's sat here right now and as i said to you before i don't want to dwell too much on your past i want to get into just like we have done now completely off tangent for the last 15 minutes which yeah. is awesome mm-hmm. but i want people to understand where you've come from which has led led them and you to this moment right now of hearing you in this place. So could you give me a brief summary of your childhood so people can get a flavor for what it was like for Tariq growing up? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, for the most part. Um, Brooklyn was a... It's, it's tough talking about it in hindsight because... In hindsight, I only extract the beauty. Um, but at the time, it was very dark. It was ugly. It was toxic, suffocating. Um, and the reason did, did why... Did you feel that? Did you feel that as a kid? Like, do, is absolutely. that only hindsight? Uh, also, you, you lived it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I've, I mean, imagine walking through every single day of your life fearing that you would lose it. I mean, that's how unsafe it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's nights, and, and it was just me and my mom too, right? So I grew up with a single mom for the most part. I would see my dad on the weekends here and there. And um, things that became normalized for me was seeing people be violently assaulted, even murdered multiple occasions like I, I and i'm talking about as a child you know the yeah. the first time that i saw someone literally shot in the head i was i was i think like 7 or 8 years old and i saw it right from my windshield sure. right and i don't even know if my mom knows that right cuz there was also like a code that we kind of live by and move by where i'm from where you know you you just keep your mouth shut about certain things mm-hmm. um and so, you know, I don't really talk about that kind of stuff, um, but that became normal. It became normal to hear gunshots right outside my window every single night. It was almost like by the, I, I was almost afraid to go to sleep because I knew that I would be woken up to gunshots. And there was like one vivid night where I remember there was like a shootout right, I mean, like right outside my window. So less than probably like six or seven feet from me. Um, I hear gunshots and then I hear a guy run through, you know, it's like the the side or backyard of, of the apartment building that I was living in. And then I see flashlights because I guess there's cops chasing this guy. And again, 
these these memories are so um, vivid and blurry at the same time because I was a kid. But I remember the feeling. I remember exactly what I saw. But, you know, yeah, that, that stuff became normal. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, at nine years old, me and my mom went through an actual famine. And I mean an actual famine where we had no food, no water, and we had to um, reach out to our church who helped us out and they gave us cans of peanut butter. And we literally lived off cans of peanut butter for about two months. And like, that was it. Um, until my mom was able to get back on her feet, you know, did, and then, at that point as well, did you not have any running water? Did I hear that? No, in another no running. Yeah. No running but, water. So just for anybody listening to this tomorrow morning, when you wake up and your mouth's dry, go downstairs, get a scoop of peanut butter and eat that. Yeah, <laughs> because I've been I'm being talking talk about listening to podcasts and connecting with it. When I heard that, I was like, "What the fuck?" And when I was eating my dinner before I came down here, it was dry, some potatoes, and it was dry. And I thought, imagine eating this with no water to drink it down with. Yeah. So again, I put myself in your shoes when I was listening to that podcast, and I heard you say that. I yeah. can't imagine what that's like. So, what was that like then, like? Because I imagine that your mum, the kind of person that I, again, from all the research I've done on you, that she comes across as, she didn't let you feel scared. It was just a case of she got on with it and it just was what it was. And that was like, it, it just was what it was. Is, is So what were you going through just eating peanut butter? Did you understand at that age what the severity of what it was? No, it was, it was, uh... It was normal. I didn't feel deprived because just growing up, I didn't have much. So have you seen uh, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith? Oh, unbelievable movie. Yeah. Yeah. Super touching movie uh, for me because it's, you know, it's very close to what my childhood was like. And so a great deal of my childhood, my early childhood was me and my mom hopping around from shelter to shelter. So, you know, I didn't grow up with much. I didn't, I, I didn't start off with a lot and then had that taken away from me. Um, and then what I can say about how it felt, it, it felt, um, lonely, but to answer your question, I did not fully understand or comprehend what was happening. Not yet, at least. And my mom was constantly working to get us, you know, out of the situation. So that famine, it didn't last too long. You know, like I said, it was, it was about a month or two. If my memory serves me right. Let, 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 let's be honest, eating peanut butter for a week. It's too long. <laughs> yeah. It's too long. Listen, it's too And this is the thing I want people to understand. This is in, is this still in Brooklyn? Yeah, this is in Brooklyn. At this, so this time, is, we're, yeah, East so, New York, so, Brooklyn. So, yeah, so, so we're, we're, we're talking about in America. So we're not talking about in fucking Africa or the Middle East or a third world country. We are talking about in America. So people listen to this podcast, they're in the UK. This stuff is happening in the UK right now. Again, back in the, the, the 90s, obviously early 90s, that it was happening because you're the same age as me. So again, I'd like to think Brooklyn has come to some ways since then. Well, However, there will, there will still be people that are living at that end of poverty. And that's yeah. in the UK. That's, 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 in, that's in every developed country. You've got that in, in, in Europe. You've got that in America. So I just want people to grasp that for a second, that this isn't a lifetime ago. And to have, again, you wouldn't have been alone. You were thankful that you actually had a church that could provide you with peanut butter. Because I imagine there's a lot of people who didn't even have peanut butter. And then what have they got to resort to? Stealing. It, it, it's, yeah. it's, it, it, when I heard that, it really touched me. So again, I'm, I'm glad that, again, you're open about sharing this and talking about this. And I just want like, the audience to sort of just really resonate and connect with what you're saying. That it's, this isn't a joke. 
Not at it, all. It, it's something that's still going on right now. And it's something that bothers me that people seem to bury their head in the sand and think, oh, it can't happen in this country. It can, and it is. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to just get that out there that so people understood yeah. that you're the same age as me. So we're not talking about 50 years ago. We're talking about this was happening in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and the cool thing about being a kid is being a kid. So you're going, you're walking through life with just like this, this, you know, you're exploring it. Everything is playful. Even this time of my life was somewhat playful, right? I remember um, this. So my mom was working a lot of the time and I would be home after school for about two to three hours before my mom came home. And, you know, I was at a pretty young age. Um, but I remember sitting on the floor with one of the cans of peanut butter. And it, this is just, you know, this is like what Brooklyn was at the time, and at least the place that we were living. And so we've got, you know, leaky ceilings where water's dripping from the ceiling and um, roaches were, you know, pretty much roommates. <laughs> and uh, I remember sitting on the floor and there was this roach um, just crawling around the kitchen floor. And I was just playing with the roach with a, a little fork and like just, you know, changing its direction, making it walk this way and then walk <laughs> yeah, this way. Yeah, and then, yeah. I'm just sitting at home by myself, you know, waiting for my mom to get home. But when I think back to that period in, in my life, like those are the kind of things that I remember. And so there isn't too much pain in regards to a memory like that. Where the pain might come is um, when my mom finally came home. You know, my mom, um, not only is she taking care of me working, but she also has a personal life, right? You know, dates, you know, whatever, and things like that. And so um, there were nights where I remember just sitting on the, the kitchen floor with my mom or the bathroom floor um, and just, you know, crying together. And I didn't even know why I was crying. I was just crying because my mom was crying. Mm-hmm. And I didn't fully understand what she was going through, but I caught glimpses of how she was treated by men in her life. And I imagine that a great deal of her pain was also not only, you know, her personal affairs, but just like, where we were in life and like what we were going through, like not knowing what was going to be for dinner, you know, that mm-hmm. night or what tomorrow was, gonna, where we were going to be sleeping the next night and things like that, you know? So um, that formed an incredible bond between my mom. And if you listen to my music, you know, I, I like, you know, I talk about my mom a lot. I try not to do it too much, but that's just, you know, how I, how I grew up. But you got to think of like, and, and that's this why, again, I'm, I'm glad we, this why I wanted to go back to sort of tell your story. So when I mentioned that throwaway comment at the start that you don't swear in your music so your mum can listen to it, like hopefully now people can see the importance of that. Because again, your mum busting her ass to get you to where you are now, like again, and, and everything you've accomplished. Because again, when it comes to, to your rap career, yes, you might not be a multimillionaire, but you, you've opened for some pretty big people. Like people yeah. listening to this probably would have heard of Ice Cube, the rapper Ice Cube. Like you, you've opened for Ice Cube. Like, yeah. again your your music's on a um a basketball game so everyone would have heard of fifa in this country so the, the basketball equivalent of fifa like your music's in that so you've done a lot and again to almost then repay your mum by doing that is incredible so then you then somehow I, I i don't even know how you did it by the way like from that upbringing managed to get into college because <laughs> yeah. wow i mean i mean come on let, let's be honest and this is and this is something that again let, right, let's touch on this right now because i love something that you say um i want to make sure that I, I, I quote this right when you say about you've got to take responsibility for your life like 
Got my notes here. I'm have to edit this bit out where I have literally completely messed up where where I found it. Here we go. So talk about people's. They've got to take responsibility for sorting their life out, even if it's not their fault. They have to take responsibility. So there's you with this absolute mess of a life that's through no fault of your own. How did you get yourself to college? Yeah. So let me share another story that kind of encapsulates the principle of what you just said. So I remember uh, these like cold winter nights, right, where we probably don't even have heat or whatever, but I have to like walk to the laundromat um, which is a few blocks away from the house with, you know, all of me and my mom's clothes, um, in a shopping cart. And, um, like I'm the one doing it, you know, my mom asked me to go do the laundry and the shopping cart is so heavy. There's two big clothes, uh, bags of clothes in it. And I'm also carrying one behind me. I'm a kid. I mean, you know, 12, 13, 14, and it's cold. And I'm pushing the sharpen cart with one hand, holding the bag in the other hand, and this stuff is heavy. And I remember just like wishing that my dad was around to like help me with the damn bag, <laughs> you know, but it wasn't. And it was, it was cold out. My hands were freezing, but I was like, I have to get to the laundromat, right? No one, there's no one here to help me. This is just what I have to do. And like, what am I going to do? Just stop and just stop here. And then I'll close it. What do I, what do I do? Just sit here with my clothes in the middle of the street? Like, no, I got to get to the laundromat and get this done. And I remember it was, this was a small moment. I'm talking about one moment, but I, I like hardened my heart in a way. And I just told myself like, no one's here to help you. You have to go do this. And so now as my life goes on, and I didn't realize this when I was going to college, right? I mean, I'm going to get to how that mm-hmm. happened, but I had decided that there were just things that I was going to have to do because no one else was going to do them. Okay. So maybe that helped uh, develop, you know, some sort of self-awareness. So I knew when I was leaving middle school, uh, where I was in Brooklyn, I was still in East New York, Brooklyn, which is one of the most was one of the most dangerous parts of Brooklyn and pretty much still is. Um, it's a neighborhood over from where like Jay-Z and, and Biggie grew up. Yeah. Um, so I knew when I was leaving middle school that I didn't want to go to what were called zone high schools. Zone just meaning like the closest to proximity to where you live. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew based on what was happening at those high schools, I grew up around the violence. I mean, like the security that they had to implement at these schools was so crazy because of the violence that was happening. I mean, kids were getting shot on like a day-to-day basis, stabbings mm-hmm. and just, I just, I like, I was like, I just know I don't want to go there. I don't want to, mm-hmm. I've dealt with that all my life. I've like, you know, evaded that. I don't, that's not where I wouldn't want to be right now. And so I was like, I want to apply to anything except that. And so I started looking at performing arts high schools and I came across, um, there were five at the time, but anyways, the two that I remember most vividly was the one that I ended up going to, which is called Frank Sinatra High School of the Arts. And then there was another one called LaGuardia, uh, which is very popular, but most people know about LaGuardia. And so um, I didn't make the cut for LaGuardia. I was, uh, these uh, schools required that you audition to yep, get in. Yep. 
and you know whether you're doing dance, singing, acting, uh, music, whatever it was. And I was doing acting, so didn't make it to LaGuardia. Uh, made it to Frank Sinatra. Ended up going to Frank Sinatra, and this was probably the first pivotal step towards my going to college. And I hadn't like thought that through yet. I wasn't thinking about college. I was like, I just knew where I did not want to go. Yes, yeah, yeah. So going to Frank Sinatra, this is where um, my eyes really started to open. It was the first time that on a day-to-day basis, I was hanging with people outside of my own race. And mm-hmm. I was actually the minority in my school. Um, I was the minority in my, I was the only black boy in my, my, my acting class. Mm-hmm. And so um, my, every, my taste in everything began to expand. Um, in music, the food I was eating, you know, the, the people I was meeting, my, my language, my ability to communicate with others and things like that. And I ended up getting really close with um, a kid named Noah. He was, you know, my best friend in high school. Uh, we both had similar like outcomes coming out of high school, 1.9 GPAs, like, you know, didn't really take high school seriously. Um, for, for, for people that, because uh, in, in this country, we don't do GPAs. What's okay. the, do you know what it roughly equates to in like an A, B, C or D? Um, closer to a D. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what my GPA was when I was at university and I can't even figure that out what that was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah bad <laughs> yeah. D. So, so you weren't doing very good. Let's just put it that way. I was just <laughs> passing. I mean... Yeah, yeah. No colleges were accepting me. I'll put it that way by the time that it was senior year. And um, I I wasn't even applying to a lot because I knew they wouldn't accept me. Like the minimum, you know, was a a B or an A, you know, things like that. And so um, me and Noah ended up getting accepted into a a private college upstate New York. So, um, yeah, I I ended up applying to the school called St. Thomas Aquinas College. Uh, Thankfully got accepted. It was the only college that accepted me. And um, I didn't want to go to community college because I had this self-limiting belief that if you go to community college, you're not good enough. And it's, you know, the real colleges are above community colleges. Again, there was a false limiting belief that I just mm-hmm. didn't understand at the time. Um, and so, yeah, I went to St. Thomas Aquinas College with the plan to uh, play basketball and uh, get a dual degree in math and engineering. That's, that's a big step up. Yeah. From where you were. So were you good at basketball then? Or were you just average? What, what, was, let, let, let's be real. What, what were I you? I was below average. Yeah. So yeah. there's a thing about college sports where every player that's on the team is the best from where they came from. Yep. So I was the best from Frank Sinatra High School, but Frank is Sinatra it, High is School... It, is it because you were the only black player there? Is that this was? Is it because <laughs> you were tall and <laughs> you were probably the only one? Again, especially from Brooklyn, yeah, like, you're yeah. probably like actually the only one that really took basketball seriously. Exactly. And you've got these little preppy kids that are there. Oh, man, <laughs> it was so bad that our basketball team actually got cancelled uh, after no. my sophomore year of high school. Yeah, we, we got cancelled because... Um, the, our school prioritized the performing arts over sports. So if there was a, a a show that I had to perform in one night, that took I would fail my you know my acting class if I didn't perform. Yeah. And went to go play basketball. So because we couldn't make the games, yeah. um, the New York City uh, Basketball League ended up kicking us out of out of it. And so I couldn't oh, even play man. basketball in my last two years. So by the time I got to college, um, I was the best where I came from, but I was so bad compared to these other players extremely bad 
so then let's just then I say fast forward a little bit. It doesn't really yeah. fast forward that much. So basically, you again, I know this a little bit of this story. So basically, you redshirted, which essentially, uh, again, for people that are in the UK, uh, redshirting basically means where you take a, uh, you basically you don't play for the team that year. You basically forfeit that year, but you don't lose the year. So basically, you're still on the team, but you can't play in any games, even if you're the only player that's available. You can't play, uh, so you basically just part of the team. But it's almost like a development year, almost. So yeah. it gives you the development year. So I then heard you bust your ass to get yourself into the. So talk to me about busting your ass. Talk to me about the hustle, because again, it's in one of your raps where you're talking about um, doing 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 twice a day, practicing what you preach. Like you, yeah. you you put the work in. So talk to me about putting the work in, and then talk to me about potentially one of the worst days of your life. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, the, I'll keep this story brief because, you know, it doesn't need to be too much into it. But uh, for 365 days straight, I was in the basketball gym. Um, and I mean, literally, three, there was not one day from September of 2008 when I, when I got to college until um, September of the following year that I did not get in the gym and work on my game or play basketball. I mean, straight. Mm. And I had to because I had a lot of catching up to do. And my coach gave me a contingency with that redshirt agreement. You know, it was, I heard the words exactly. It was like, you know, if, you know, you, you're good enough, then because you redshirted and you were the manager this year, you know, I'll get you a spot on a team next year. So I understood that contingency. I didn't mean like just because I redshirted, I was going to make the team next year. That's not at all what it, I had to work. Yeah. I had to bulk up. Because I remember my first college practice, uh, I tried running through a screen. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know what a screen is, um, just imagine a big seven-foot guy standing in front of you, and you have to get around him while he's trying to hold you back from getting around him. Um, so I, I tried to run through my first screen, and I ended up falling on the floor, running into a, a you know a, a real college athlete. And um, I realized in that moment, like I was not at all prepared for, you know, where I was. And so not only did I have to work on the skill of my game, but also like my, you know, the, my, my physical nature and how big I was and how athletic I was. Because I wasn't athletic at, at all, really. I was, you know, I had a little bit of a jump shot. I was about it. Um, but I was pretty scrawny. So, yeah, for 365 days straight, worked in a gym, just really got after it. Um, and I made a, a pretty decent improvement. Uh, it wasn't enough to get a starting spot or anything like that, but it was enough to solidify you my name on the there. roster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ironically, the day that <laughs> I found out that I had officially made the team, and I mean, this moment meant so much to me um, because of the goals that I had in front of me and also because of the 365 days prior to this moment, you know, I find out from my coach that I've made the team and my name is officially on the roster. Um, that same morning, I found out that I would not be able to go to college anymore because I had financially uh, pretty much just, you know, I'd capped in, in, in regards to my financial ability to pay for my tuition, which at the time was around like 30000 a year. Uh, so my first year took out a big $30,000 loan. My parents co-signed. Second year, my parents did not want to do that again, yep. nor did they really have like the credit or the means to, to, to support that much debt. 
Um, and so my coach ended up setting up a meeting with the president of my college. Um, and he told me, this is the best I can do is get you this meeting, you know, uh, which is a kind of way of saying like, you're not good enough for me to give you a scholarship yet. I got to prioritize the guys who are ready for a scholarship. Yeah. And that completely makes sense. I have no resentment at all towards anybody. Um, so I go into this meeting with the president of my college and it lasted, I would say no more than 45 seconds where um, I told her my situation. I told her I was working really hard. I told her I'd made the Dean's list for the, both of the previous semesters at a 3.825 GPA. So almost a, like a perfect mm. A plus. You, you almost can't get any better than this. Yes. So the, the Dean's um, list is literally, you are one of the top pupils at the school. Yeah, so exactly. you, so you literally had been busting your ass in the gym and academically. Exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, I told him my situation that I really wanted to be a student of this college and continue, you know, my student athlete career there. And her exact words verbatim were, I'm sorry, but there's nothing that I can do for you. And that was the end of the meeting. And that was that. And, um, so now I'm walking back to my dorm and kind of, uh, you know, accepting the news that. I just made the team, but I don't have a means of paying the college. So essentially, I'm, I'm going to have to drop out. Um, and as I'm walking to my dorm, I get a call from my mom, who's back you know, home, back in, um, she's in Queens at this, at this time, which is right next door to Brooklyn. And she's letting me know that uh, she came home to a letter on the door. And I knew what that meant, because I'd seen many letters on the door growing up with my mom. And so you know, we were essentially being um, asked to move out. Um, which is like the step right before of being evicted. Yep. And so this is all within like a, maybe like a three hour span <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that all this happens. And so uh, I, I go back to my dorm room and uh, the, the guy who runs the, the campus dorms, he lets me know it's midwinter. So no one's there except for the guys basketball team and the girls basketball team, because those yep. are the only winter sports. And he lets me know, you know, right now, since there's no students here, I'll let you stay for a couple of weeks and, you know, kind of get things situated. But by, by the time that January rolls around, I'm going to need you to, you know, to move mm -hmm. out. Um, and so I'm sitting in my dorm room and just feeling all the emotions. There's not really much I can do at this point this point um, besides feel. And um, prior to this moment, I had never thought about being a rapper. It's not something that I, I grew up wanting to do. I didn't like grow up with like a heavy amount of rap around me. I wasn't like really influenced to go this direction. But for some reason, um, I threw in the instrumental to a song called Fear by Drake in his earlier careers. Mm -hmm. For some reason, the instrumental just really resonated with me. And I just started, you know, kind of writing out um, what I was feeling. And the song was very derivative because I didn't really know how to rap yet, right? I was just yeah. kind of going off like Drake's flow and like just writing out my words now um, yeah. with like a similar cadence. And um, felt compelled to like just go on Facebook and share the video of me, you know, rapping these lyrics and a great deal of, you know, my, my sophomore class that the kids that I'd been hanging out with for the last year, um, responded to the video and they were like, yo, this is crazy. You need to take this seriously. 
And um, little did I know, you know, I woke up that Saturday morning, um, a student athlete and went to bed, a soon to be rapper. I like, every time, that's the, I think that's the third time I've heard that story. Comes yeah. to the podcast you've done. And every time I just, I just, I just sit there and again, I'm like, I, I don't know what it is because obviously I know I've obviously lived in America. I, I can picture myself in a dorm room. How did you pick yourself up from that disappointment? Because yes, I know you've used her up to help you with that. But I can't imagine putting myself through all of that for not getting a return. So to put it into perspective, when I went to America, I thought it was going to be the best thing since sliced bread because Americans can't play soccer. So I was a goalkeeper, went over there, turned out I was very, very wrong. And first year I was there, played two games. Second year I was there, played two games. Anyway, got to my senior year and basically my team was now nationally ranked and I was going to be a senior. And this, my, my coach at the time had ended up bringing in three other goalkeepers. So this was my year. Wow. Like I, I was going to be a senior and he brought yeah. in three very good goalkeepers. So then back over here, I basically, there's a, there's a pro team uh, in this country and I was basically training with them all summer traveling very far to go. They'd actually offered me a contract, but I'd said no. And I spoke to my dad, my dad said no, because he said, oh, when you come back after last year, it'll still be here. It wasn't there, but that's another story. Um, and I was like, if I'm good enough to get a pro contract here, I can go back to America and do it. But I bust my ass off every single day of that summer, every day, every day. And this, was some, this isn't 365 days. This is summer, every yeah. single day. And I can't imagine what would have happened if I'd have gone there and been told, sorry, no. Which is exactly what happened to you. And I cannot, bear in mind you've done the academic stuff as well. And you weren't very academic. You weren't academic. You weren't smart. You didn't come in there with high grades. So you'd bust your ass off so fucking much. How did you deal with that? I know you rapped, but I mean, from an emotional level, yeah. How do you come? How how do you come back from that? Because there's going to be people listening to this that can relate to some way, shape, or form. Like not necessarily through three six five days of being on a basketball court, mm -hmm. but they will have had some news that would have made them feel exactly what you felt, like their world was ending. How do you how do you respond from that? Um, I crashed. I crashed, man. I didn't respond well at all. I did, there was no inspiring bounce back a year later two years later three years later four years later um it really wasn't until 2016 and mind you i left i left college in 2009 december of 2009 and it wasn't until 2016 that i started to become the man that you know you're speaking to right now um you know and i've had people like ask me you know how are you so positive and i i tell them well, I've, because I've been negative, mm. I've been on the other side and I know what it feels like. And it was inconsistent with the person that I wanted to be. Mm. So yeah, man, I, I crashed hard. You know, I ended up going back home and, um, you know, at the time it felt like life was happening to me, but it was happening for me, um, as it always right. does. Mate, that is the quote. This is right. My audience will not believe I've not said that to you before. I've used that quote in the last three of my podcasts. Yeah. And that is a, that is a quote that Ed Milet, so you know the guy I said to you at the very start, that's what he says. Life happens for us, 
not to us. 100%. I cannot believe you just said that. Yes. And yeah. I, I hope everyone just listened and picked up on that because that is the attitude you have to have to succeed. How did you find that? How did that come about? Yeah, I mean, it, it came about in, in hindsight, of course. Um, or, you know, more so like a process of slowly getting to that point where I'm realizing like, oh, wait, <laughs> you know, all you got to do is look at where you are now. And the math is very simple, right? If you're alive today in this moment or whenever, you, you know, the, this podcast reaches your ears and you're listening to it, the math is simple. Whatever your worst days and times of your life were, you have beaten them because you're in this moment right now, which means mathematically and just by common sense, it means you are 100% undefeated. Like there wasn't any day or time that took you out and slit your throat so because you wouldn't be listening to this. You would literally be dead. And so it's it's so small and I'm you know I'm I'm probably like oversimplifying this but like you're here right and so that must mean if I'm still here that everything that happened it was to get me to this point that I'm at right now and so I should be grateful for the things that happened and like use whatever I can and muster up whatever I can to to move forward so I moved back home we go to Connecticut. <laughs> That's where we moved from New York to Connecticut. Why Connecticut? What was that? Because it was cheaper. That's okay. it. it was okay. Okay. Rent. There we go. Right. <laughs> shout yeah. out Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Connecticut. It's so you know, super way cheaper than New York for like bigger space and you know the cost of living, everything. And so, what happens when you move to a different state, right? And you're not in a school or anything. You just literally moved, right? you don't have anybody to hang out with immediately. Your weekends are spent a little differently. They're more quiet. It's just more alone time. And so a byproduct of us moving to Connecticut was I was forced to spend my weekends and nights where I would probably be out hanging with friends or, or things like that. I was now writing music. I had really nothing else to do. And so now I'm honing my craft and getting better. And again, this move sucked. I like did not like being in Connecticut. It was happening to me and I was convinced that this yeah, sucked. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. little did I know here I am getting better at rap, you know, and, and developing my craft. And I'm the, the universe is, you know, forcing me into a position where I have to focus on this because I don't really have anything else going for me. And although I'm getting better at rap, I'm still personally uh, crashing, right? I'm working two to three jobs at a time, sometimes four to help my parents be able to afford rent. Mm -hmm. And it's, it wasn't until, you know, I'm going to fast forward now because I did this for about five, six years, mm -hmm. right? Working two, three jobs. We ended up moving back to New York. Again, still working yeah. two to three jobs at a time. At no point did I have less than two jobs. Yeah. So I meant like my, there were some nights, there were 24 hour periods where I was just working the entire 24 hours. Right. Nights where I was not sleeping, um, I would leave from work. You know, I'd have a truck driving job from seven o'clock to about two, three in the afternoon. And I'd go straight from from there, take the bus, which is about an hour and a half ride to uh, Sprint to work at the cell phone store until nine o'clock. Right. 
um, and then take a two hour ride home to try and, you know, get some sleep to wake up by five o'clock in the morning the next day to get back to the tra- truck driving job, which took about two hours. Were you, were you doing this to mm-hmm. avoid being with yourself and sort of dealing with what was going on? I know you said you needed money, but was there a part of you that was just like, I just need to keep busy here because I know that when I was struggling with the shit that was going on inside my head, mm-hmm. the thing that crippled me was time. Like mm-hmm. when I was by myself, that's when it really got to me. Was there, Do you think now in hindsight, looking back, that you were just trying to be busy to try and not allow yourself that time to assess? Not, not with the jobs, but outside of the jobs with the way that I spent that time, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I think you, you probably uh, just hanging out and like partying when I really shouldn't have been. Kind of sh- I should have just been focused on my craft. I was working on my craft and I was working pretty hard, but... Uh, definitely not not my hardest. Um, I wasn't learning or or developing personally yet. I didn't even know that personal development was a thing, you know? So there was probably subconsciously um, parts of me that were uh, avoiding the time with self that I really needed to dive into. Um, But I was also like young and just, you know, kind of having, you know, having fun. And so... I started like, you know, just partying and sleeping around a lot. Um, And I think that my relationship with sex, it kind of grew out of my not wanting to be alone on certain nights and kind of face what I was going through and dealing with. I can completely relate to that. And again, we we spoke about this before to sort of go down to this level. So my audience will not know this about me at all. I've actually guested on one podcast before, which hasn't been aired yet, but I was very open about this. But no one listening to my podcast will know this about me, but I massively had a huge sex addiction at my worst point in my depression. And you probably think to yourself, like, what, you're depressed? Like, how, how do those two go together? It was because that was the only time I felt something. And I just needed to feel like some people self-harm and you listen to why they self-harm is because they want to feel pain. I just wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel worthy. I wanted to feel good at something. And that's basically what it was. And again, I've heard you speak about this on podcasts before. Like I'm almost ashamed of how I was back then, but I didn't know any better. I was just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. I was trying to keep my head above water. So when I heard you say that I can relate to that massively because as lads, you almost seen as like some sort of God that can go around sleeping with all these people. Yeah. But when you're living it and you're living it through a place of mentally being in a horrific place, it's not, it's not good. There's, not there's no, there's no pride in that. There's no gold medal. You, you feel empty. You feel hollow. And in hindsight, now I look back at potentially the people I've hurt. I then look at how maybe they see themselves because of what I did. But really I was the, I was the head fuck. I yep. was the one with the issues here. And I'd meet some incredible people, incredible, amazing bodies, amazing in bed, because they were so nice. I didn't want them near me because I didn't want to ruin it. It's, it's bizarre. And when I heard you say that, I was like, yeah, I, I, again, listen to the podcast. I get that. I, I yeah. get that. So at what point then did you make the realization that you weren't okay and there was another option because this was the thing for me. I didn't know. And this is, this is, this is purely the reason why this podcast was set up to help people not feel as shit as I felt because I didn't know a way out. So my thing with this podcast is if it can catch someone at the right time, it could save them going through what we went through. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So at what point did you start to make the realization 
of I can really make a difference here within myself. Can you remember that time? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to um, I'm going to answer that first, and then I'm going to also speak to the point that you just made to help listeners who don't have the exact same experience. Please. please. Um, so I had a friend of mine. Her name was Leah, a music friend of mine, a very close friend. And she one day said to me, she was like, you realize that if you don't do something different than what you're doing right now, your life is not going to change. And she was referring to my working two to three jobs at a time, given half of what I'm making to my parents, rinse and repeat. And I had probably heard something along those lines prior to that moment. But for some reason, in that moment, it just, it struck me. It was like a knife in my chest, but like mm -hmm. a really good kind of knife. Yeah. And I realized that you know, I was in like a hamster wheel. And the thing about the hamster wheel is like, you're working hard. Like you really are trying to like, to go somewhere, right? Yeah. Well, let's but, be honest, mate. You're doing more than most people ever do. Yeah. Like, you, the, I mean, the job, it's not like you were just sat there like being a bum. You were, you were fucking busting your ass, mate. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like the universe doesn't care that you're busting your ass. Because that's not what this is about. That's not going to breed change, it, it, especially if you're doing the same kind of thing. And it's and mm. I went, it made me realize, like, what am I waiting for? Am I waiting for some magic moment where suddenly I make more? Or am I waiting for a five dollar raise that changes my life? Yeah. Like, I was enabling my parents, and my parents were enabling me yep. by me staying home, right? And they're and my parents at this point. Uh, my mom got married at when I was 10 years old. So at this point, you know, my mom was with my stepdad and two adults can and should, in most cases, figure out, you know, yeah. how yeah, to, yeah. how to afford rent. Right. But I was telling myself that I can't leave my mom because when I was a child and the, the shit that we went through, my mom didn't leave me when she definitely could have. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had reasons that I was telling myself and they're true, but they're not empowering. Right. So, yes, my mom did not leave me. But if I stay here and I keep working two to three jobs at a time and give my parents half of what I'm making and we're all still living paycheck to paycheck, at what point does that change? At what point does that get different? And, and what did she do it better? for? And what did she do it for? Yeah. Like, at what point did like what point you like she did this for a reason to give me this better life. Mm -hmm. And you've almost got to come to that realization of that. I'm not doing that myself. Yeah. I've heard that, that limiting belief of again we've all got limiting beliefs i did a whole podcast on limiting beliefs but mm -hmm. people have these limiting beliefs and they don't even realize that they're there but they are literally the thing that is ruining their life and it's like the anchor that's just holding the ship the there ship is, wants to go yep there are no blockages except for self what do you mean it by that what do you mean by that i mean that when we are hurt, stressed, depressed, dealing with anxiety, and our lives aren't exactly where we want them to be, in most cases, we will attribute the reason why our lives aren't where we want them to be to something outside of ourselves, right? Like, 
if you're not a millionaire, it's like, oh, I, I didn't have a silver platter handed to me when I was a kid. Um, you know, I never really learned about money. No, no, no one ever really taught me. Um, you know, if, if, if you're a middle-class citizen, you know, you, you typically we're angry at the, the higher ups and the corporations for paying less than taxes than we do. And so we blame the blockages in our life for things outside of ourselves. And it's just not, it's not real. It's yeah. not true. And I'm not saying that um, there isn't truth. So, okay. As a young black male in America, right? Life was super fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Cool. Right. I, we get it. Right. I get it. Like, I understand it was, it was hard. Right. I was pushing the laundry, co- you know, the laundry cart and the bag was heavy and no one was there. It was hard. Mm-hmm. Right. But okay. Now what? Like, what do, what are we going to do now? Now what? Like, I, I can sit there and it's just truth to the fact that like, I, you know, maybe my dad should have been there in those moments. May, you know, the, you know, the average person would agree that in an ideal situation, the mom and dad are there and, you know, you got help and you get things done. But like, that's just not how it plays out. Mm. So. What's going to be more empowering for me to sit here and blame my dad for not being there that cold winter night when I was out there in the blizzard? I didn't I don't think I mentioned that it was a blizzard. It was snowing. So I was really struggling to push (laughs) the car. Right. I can sit there and I can blame my dad and I can be mad at him for the rest of my life. And like, at what point does that become empowering for me to take action and change my life and become the man required to live the life of my dreams, to be? to be everything that I can be and make sure that maybe children I have in the future don't have to deal with what I dealt with. Mm-hmm. There is no point. And when you're looking at fault and blame, it's, it's, it's like, it's pointless mm-hmm. because when you're addressing something that happened already, if it happened already, it fucking happened already. So you, it's a waste of energy. It would be much better suited to take that energy, even if it's anger, frustration, whatever it is, and point it in a direction that leads you forward and catapults you into a better version of self. Yes. I think it's so easy in this modern society to play victim. It's it very is. easy to be a victim. And again, I can't talk about being a black man. I, I've got no idea the struggle that you would have gone through. However, I heard you talk on the podcast with Leo about what you're saying, that you believe every single person has the same opportunities, yet people just don't take them. Now, again, as, as a white male and everything that's going on at the minute in the world and the, sh- the shit you're hearing, like I, my, my personal opinion is I would disagree. And I would say that fucking hell, like, people in my position have got it a lot easier than you. But can you talk to me about what you then mean by that we've all got the same thing? And you talk about um, like trading in the mud and stuff. Can you talk to me what you mean by that? Because to hear you say that and not play the, not necessarily the victim, but you, you're just like, no one is going to do anything for me. The same opportunities are there. I'm still breathing the same air as all these richer white folk. I can get the same stuff they do. I just have to work fucking harder. Why do you think, and this doesn't go for blacks, this doesn't go for anybody that's in poverty, anybody. Why do you not think people don't adopt that mindset? What do you think stops them 
from literally because it's fucking hard by the way like we, we, we're talking about this like it's easy it's not fucking easy and i can't even imagine i'm not going to sit here and pretend i have a fucking clue what you went through or anybody else I'm, i don't have a fucking clue but the way you articulate it which is what i love about you your articulation of what you're saying is fucking brilliant so can you talk to me about that can you talk about what you mean by that okay so to answer your the latter of your questions you said why most people don't do this it's because of identity okay so what I mean by this is um, a second before that you had said, you know, I'm breathing the same air as everyone else, but I have to work harder. And it's actually not that I have to work harder. So, and let me explain that. Um, let's say that there's a, a 60 pound weight, right? A, a dumbbell, right? Um, you guys use a different metric for measurement, roughly, right? Roughly, it's about 30 kilograms. So 30 kilogram dumbbell, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. 30 kilogram dumbbell, right? Now, if a bodybuilder walks up to this 30 kilogram dumbbell and they pick it up, right, it's probably fairly easy for them. Okay. Now, if the average Joe Schmo walks up to this, there's, you know, somebody who never hits the gym and they pick it up, it's going to feel, you know, they're going to struggle with it. Yeah. Right. Has anything changed with that 30 K 30, uh, 30 kilogram dumbbell? Yep. Nothing about it has changed. Right. So, the circumstance, which is in this particular scenario, it's the, it's the dumbbell. It hasn't changed. It's the person who you are that shows up to the circumstance that determines how you look at it, how you deal with it, how you pick it up, how you throw it. Everything is dependent upon who you are when you come across the circumstance. So, Yes, it's hard being a, a, a it, it was hard being a, a black male in America. Sure, it, it's difficult, right? But there's other black men out there who deal with the same problems. It, and it, it's hard being a person. <laughs> just yes. just being, being human is so <laughs> difficult. Yes, yes, yeah, 100%. 100%. Just like, how do, you know, sometimes it's just like, how the fuck do I even just stay alive and just make it? How do I make it to 100 years? Because right well, now... This, I, but, but this is know? it, though. This is the thing that... This is the fucking thing that fundamental racists need to understand. Mm -hmm. We're all the fucking same. Life is fucking hard. Yeah. It, it, like, I don't give a fuck who you are. I don't, yeah. It, life is life. And it's, it's crazy, man, because I'm not trying to take away from the fact that racism is a real thing and it's hard to deal with. I understand. 100%. A 60-pound dumbbell is 60 pounds. But who are you showing up as to the problem? Mm. And it's so important. It's, the identity is so important because who you show up as is going to determine not just the outcome of your life, but like what you contribute to the world. Mm. Think about a relationship, right? It's, it's two people. Who are you showing up as to the relationship? If you're showing up as not the absolute best version of yourself, you're giving the other person a shitty version of yourself, right? I'm trying to just think of more ways to explain this. On the airplane, right? The, 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 um, the gas oxygen mask theory, yep, yep. right? The oxygen yep. mask. It seems counterintuitive to think if the plane is going down and, you know, shit's hit the fan, not to take a mask and put it on the child first. 
because you care, right? It's like, no, but if you don't take care of you first, mm. <laughs> your child's not going to stand a chance. Yeah. There's no way, right? So, okay. So identity is huge because here's how the brain works. The brain is made to protect you, right? It, it Based on experiences, right? Like if you touch an oven as a kid, you now know for the rest of your life yep. that if, uh, if, I, if I go over here and I touch some hot, yeah, <laughs> you know, so that the mind's always protecting. It's like, oh no, don't, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Right. And it, it places, um, it places contingencies on things that should actually just be rightfully yours and free of, of, from everything else. Things such as joy, right? Mm. So the mind decides whether a circumstance is good or not, right? And again, it's it's it, this is like where identity is huge because if your mind has told you that like, oh, it sucks to pick up this 60-pound dumbbell, then you've already decided before you even show up to the circumstance that this is an unfortunate circumstance. Meanwhile, the bodybuilder has the same exact shitty situation to deal with, but bang, I'm picking it up because mm -hmm. it, it's who I am, right? So the issue is, and this is like why I spent so long in the crash that I was in, is because you can't be the person that you want to be and the person that you are, right, at the same time. One of them has to go. If there's a future, if you want to be a millionaire and you're not currently a millionaire, right, you don't need to work harder. You need to become the kind of person who is a millionaire. The reason yes. why you are not amassing millions of dollars right now is because you're not the kind of person who does. You're not acting like a millionaire. You're not again, acting like it. You don't. You don't read like it. You don't. No. You don't. You know. You don't spend like it. You don't invest your time like it. You. You don't do that. You don't think like one. You're not that kind of a person. And you, here's you, you where see people. See people that win the lottery. They win the millions oh, and they lose time. it straight away because They're if, they can't, if you can't look after a hundred dollars or pounds, you can't look yeah. after a million. Exactly. It's the fundamental principles of that. And it's. It, it, I, I had no idea. I, I said to you. I said to you at the start that I was going to get this out of you. I fucking said it. And you're going exactly where I wanted you to go to. I had no idea we we're going to go this deep into identity. I fucking yeah. love this because people don't ever understand that the identity, the internal dialogue they're saying to themselves yep. then determines their belief system, which is essentially Ooh. the glasses they see the world in. So right Come now, on, we've man. got the identity that I can't lift this 60 kg dumbbell. Okay. Yep. So then the belief system, the glasses are on, can't lift this. Use your fucking initiative and pay the fucking bodybuilder to pick the dumbbell up for you. Yep. Do you yep. mean there's different ways of moving that dumbbell? You don't have so to. So many ways, yeah. But I love how you, honestly, that analogy was brilliant. And while you were talking, I was like, "Fuck!" Like, my brain was going nuts. That analogy, it is brilliant. <laughs> like, it's not fair. It's not fair that most of the black community is not a bodybuilder to pick that weight up. Mm -hmm. And I, but I love then what you said. There's other ways you can do it. But if you're going to sit there and piss and moan about the 60 kg dumbbell, it ain't going to move. But there's ways you can train, you can go develop yourself to become a bodybuilder, pick it up yourself, and drop as a good one. But in this, the art of developing to be a bodybuilder, how much better off are you oh, than the person see, than the person that's spoon fed? The person that's spoon fed. You've you got to go for all that shit. Yep. You just hit it right on the on the nail, bro. It's not it's not even about picking up the actual dumbbell, right? Because again, the circumstance doesn't change. It's the same. It's it's equally as heavy for everybody. Yep. It's the person you become along the way to getting to the point where you can now pick that up. Because now that you can pick that up, now you can go do 
What else can you do? A hundred other things. Yeah, yeah you, you know, you've gotten smart. You, you've probably learned certain things. You've probably met certain people along the way into becoming the kind of person who can now lift this once heavy weight that you couldn't before because the old version of you wasn't equipped, wasn't built to do it. But now opportunity has come and met you because you made the decision instead of sitting there and like not doing anything, you've made a decision to, I'm going to leave this version of me behind, right? I know that my mind is trying to keep me safe and is saying, no, no, don't do it. You're going to hurt yourself if you try and pick that up. But you just you make it you and set the intent. This is the, the first Intention, step. It's so yes. important. The intent. This is the one thing that everybody misses. And they're like, how do I do it? How do I do it? The first thing you have to do, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you there's one way. The beautiful thing about being human is uniqueness. You're gonna figure out your own way, but it comes after you set the intent and you say, I am willing to set this version of me to the side. Clearly I've been doing things wrong. If I want a million dollars and I haven't amassed it yet, I need to accept the fact that I'm doing wrong. So my mind, who's currently feeding me thoughts and trying to keep me safe, I have to tell my mind, shut the fuck up. Let me go seek knowledge and wisdom and understanding from people that have done it. And in the process of doing that, you're gonna become a new version of you that is now equipped to handle the things that you once could not do. But it's not until you get to that point. And like this is where depression, stress, and anxiety form. It's in this place where you there's a version of you that you know you're capable of. You know that there's something inside because you wouldn't want it if you weren't capable, right? Okay. Can you dunk a basketball, Daniel, on a 10-foot rim? Mate, even if it was a kid's basketball thing, I don't think I could dunk a ball. <laughs> okay. Do you ever stress about that? Do you ever nope. sit down and like knock your head, right? Okay. Nope. Do you ever stress about not being able to fly to the moon right now? Nope. The things that we know we can't do, it's just not in our cards, right? We don't stress about them. We only stress when there's something that we know we're capable of and it's not happening. So a better life, right? Everybody is capable of a better life. You stress, you get depressed, you get anxious because there's a version inside of you, a better version of self it's there. It's it's right there. And all it is, it's it's an intent and a few actions away from becoming a real thing. But there's the current you that's battling and going the opposite direction of where the new, more empowered, smarter, mentally healthier, just, you know, lit just everything that that version of you it's ready it's it's right there and you are self-destructing and you're out sleeping around like i was right you Mm -hmm. know you're doing things going in the opposite direction and of course you're unhappy and distressed and, and anxious of course you're you're mentally unwell because there's a clash now of two identities that are real, the current version of you and the better version of you. It's just as real as this, the current one. But in order to get to that better version of you, you have to be willing to chop off the limbs of the current version of you, not literally. <laughs> Disclaimer. So that, you, yeah, so that you can step into that new version of self. I think this is where people then live this miserable life. Yep. Because they give up. They yep. give up and then they just accept what it is. And this is where people around you, you're going to piss people off when you start living how you should be living. You're going to piss a lot of people off because you're going to highlight to a lot of people what they should be doing. I am not the same person as I was two years ago. Not the same person. I don't hang around with the same people as two years ago. People will say they will know me from two years ago and they'll talk about me as if they know me. They don't know me. 
I'm no not the idea. same. I'm, I'm not the same person. But I'm, I'm cool with that. I know where I'm going. Now, I can't even tell you how fucking on fire you just were there. Do you listen to this, this back, mate? I think you just thought like <laughs> you were on another thing there. What can people do practically? Because again, I want to sort of wrap this up. I'm very co- conscious of your time. <laughs> but practical things for people right now that are listening and they're saying, listen, Tariq, I hear you. I hear you. Like, I- I'm feeling this. I, I-, I don't, I- I'm not the best version of me. Just give me something. What can I do to take this action? What steps can I take? What advice would you give to people? Yeah. Okay. Can we can we do something together? You have a pen and paper with Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Give me two okay. seconds. I'll grab one. I'll grab one. I'll edit this out so it's nice and smooth. <laughs> so you'd be like, have you got pen and paper? Or yes, mate. Yes, mate. Yes, mate. Right here. <laughs> right. Yep. Pen and paper. The reason got why it. I want to do this together is because I, I like me personally, I was planning on doing this at some point today. It's awesome. been on my mind for the cup for the past couple of days, and I've been wanting to do this. But um, we're gonna literally we're gonna make this so practical yep. um and, and applicable moving forward. But I want you to just draw a line in the middle of your paper. And if you're listening, you can do this with us. If you're driving, just run this back so we go home. up and down or across yeah just up and down right up down the down. middle yep, yep. So awesome. there's two sides okay, yep. okay. and on the left okay. side at the top i want you to write thoughts and on the right side i want you to write actions okay and the reason why we're writing thoughts and actions is because what we're about to do is come up with uh what's called the decision making framework so now um when it comes to your thoughts and your actions you're going to have a list of questions. We'll do maybe for the sake of time, like three questions yep. on each side Ooh. that you ask yourself whenever a thought comes to mind or whenever there's an action that you can take. And if it doesn't align with the person that you want to be based on the questions that we're about to write, then you know if it's you or if it's like the old version of you or like a an unhealed version of yeah. you that's that's speaking. And based on knowing that, you'll, you'll know what to do next. Yep. All right. So... Let's start with thoughts. So, I, um, this is—I've never done this with you know someone yep. before. So yeah. this isn't planned. I'm, I'm, you know, really shooting from the hip right now. But I just want to know from you personally, mm-hmm. um, what, what kind of thoughts would you like to have ideally in your perfect world? Self-empowering ones, ones okay. that make me feel good. Okay. So on your, on your paper, I want you to think, I want you to write down number one, question number one, is this thought self-empowering? Number two, because you just mentioned this as well, does it make me feel good? Yep. And then what else, what else for your thoughts? Like in in regards to like the person that you want to be? A leader. Is this like, is this what I'm thinking, helping me lead people? Write that down right there. Yeah. Is this thought helping me lead people or can it help me lead people? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So that's three. And you can continue to do this. You, I'm, I'm sure by now you probably, you've, you've picked up on the exercise. Yep, and yep. Again, So now for actions, right? We're going to do three questions. Um, so yeah, Daniel, tell me, and, and I want you to think about the version of you that you want to be that has everything that, that you want. Yep. What kind of actions does that person take? Decisive ones. So it makes decisive actions. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, what's the word? He makes a dec- he, ma- he he knows what he wants and he goes out and gets it. 
So it doesn't okay. hesitate. Like, so this is, so you're speaking on intuition. Yes. Um, yeah. Like, you know it, and you, because you know it deep within, you go out and you act on it immediately yes. without yes. hesitation. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, in regards to action, um, so for question number one for yourself should be Does this action align with my intuition? And, mm-hmm. or, or, or it could be, um, yeah, does this action align with my intuition? Let's yeah, start yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always not good at describing things. I know what, oh, I, know what is, I mean. I know what I mean in my head. Yeah, this is perfect. What else? Um, I actually take so um, so I, I got, like for me to 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 lead the life that I want to be doing, I've got to be reading. So action I've got to take each day is I have to read. Like that's that's a non-negotiable for me. Okay, so question number two: Have I read up on this action that I'm about to take, or uh, what we're really when you say that you want it when you want to be reading reading? What does that provide you? It provides you with oh, like knowledge. So okay, yeah. So I want you to write: Do I feel equipped with? the knowledge required to take this action. This, this is why you're the rapper. <laughs> That's question number two. Do I feel yeah. equipped with sufficient knowledge to take this action? Okay. And then lastly, just tell me um, just something else. It doesn't have to be around action, but just something that this version of you, you know, the, the best version of you, just tell me about him. What is he uh, like? He's affluent, he su- successful, affluent, adding as much value to as many people as possible. He's choosing his life and he's enough. Now they are my affirmations. I say to myself every single morning in the shower, I'm successful. I'm affluent. I'm adding as much value to as many people as possible. I'm choosing my thoughts and I'm enough. Why are those things important to you? So to be successful, now this is something that again was a big limiting belief to me. I never thought I'd be successful. I got told I was younger. I was never amount to anything. Mm-hmm. So for me, like I will be a success. I know I'll be a success. So I'm just telling myself, like, again, I didn't start off saying I am. I basically had to start off by saying I'm in the process of becoming successful. Yeah. And then I yeah. started to believe it. Things were happening. And I was like, well, I am successful. I am successful. Like it, it's a fact. I've got a podcast. I'm successful. Then I'm affluent. Like, again, people say that. And this is something I struggle with to talk about because people don't like money. Now, my thing is mm-hmm. I want to be affluent. Why do I want to be affluent? Why do I want to be rich and abundant? Because it allows me opportunities. Money allows me to do things, which then ties into my third thing to help as many people as possible. I can't help as many people as possible if I don't have the funds available to me to help support them. Bang. So third question, does this action allow me the opportunity to be able to help others? I've never ever told people my uh, my affirmations there before, but that's what I do every single every single That is morning. awesome. Every single that is morning. awesome. And I love the way that you started it you know, you were like very truthful with yourself. Instead of saying, I am successful right off the bat, you said, I'm in the process of becoming successful. That's that's really important. So there's a guy called Michael Lozier. Don't have you ever heard of him? Um, I think I have. Yeah, from the Law of Attractions. I literally was messaging him before, I, literally five minutes before we came on air about getting him on my podcast. So he's going to be on my next wow. guest. So again, wow. he's the one talking about Law of Attraction. Again, in his book, he's saying, if you're saying I'm successful, or let's say I'm affluent, and you are broke as fuck, which I was at the time. I had no fucking yeah. money. I had a shit ton of debt. And as I'm saying, oh, I'm going to be affluent. My brain's going to say, shut the fuck up, dickhead. Mm-hmm. And then what you're doing is you're putting the positivity out there, but then your internal dialogue, the negativity of it, cancels it out. So then if you're saying, I'm in the process of becoming affluent, by definition, the fact you've remembered to tell yourself this, you can't call bullshit because you are in the process of doing it because you've remembered. Then straight away, the positivity comes. It. And yeah. I can't wait to get him on to help people with this because people don't understand this. And it's something that people need to know. 
So I'm glad you've heard of it. And that, that to be fair, I think that, that, that exercise you just went over, I've never, I've never done that before. I've done a lot of activities. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like that. It's just helping you define what kind of person you want to be. Like, does this action line up with it? Exactly. So right in front of you now, you now have your true identity. And if there are any thoughts or actions that present themselves to you and they don't align with these six questions that you just wrote for yourself, then you know they aren't Daniel. Mm-hmm. They aren't the Daniel that you want to be. And for listeners, if they, if when you write down your questions for yourself, and this is based on like the person that you want to be and you know the life that you want to create, any thoughts and actions that come and present themselves to you, if they're not in alignment with these, they're not really you. Yep. It's either the current version of you trying to keep you safe and convince you otherwise, or it's an unhealed part of you, or it's maybe somebody else's influence in your ears. Yeah. Right. And so now you know what to block out. And when something, when a thought comes to mind and they fall within the, 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 the guidelines of the three questions you wrote down, you go fucking act on it. Godspeed because you know, it's really you. And just by doing that alone, you're going to, naturally come into the next best version of yourself because you're giving you're giving, giving yourself the roadmap almost because yes. people don't know what it wants yep. to be. and again me and leo spoke about this like yep. you don't know what the best version of you is but if you then give yourself the awareness you can then start to take steps towards that whereas at the minute as you spoke about like if you're sat there confused depressed anxious whatever it is you yep. don't really know what you're searching for but as soon as you put it out there you can go yep. after it, but you need to know what you're going after first. Are you going to run around like a, a dog, like trying to catch its own tail? <laughs> yeah. Cause at all times, what's going to happen, right? Even me where I am now, there's still a, a version of me that I'm currently, I'm, I'm constantly self-exploring. So there's a version of me I'm trying to step into and there's current version of me and mm. I have to know who's talking right when mm. the alarm clock goes up in the morning, goes off in the morning and some, there's a voice in my head saying, Oh no, just go back to sleep. Who's talking. Is it, mm. is it the version of Tariq that I want to be, or is it, you know, current version yeah. of me and the, or, or old version of me trying to pull me back into old ways. And so the second that you know how to decipher and differentiate those internal voices in your, in your mind, you'll know who's really talking and you now have a choice as to who you're going to listen to. And that's what it is. That's what I part of my thing. The choo- you, you are the chooser. You yep. choose. And that is the most important thing that people need to realize is in this podcast. You have a choice. You yep. choose how you respond to any situation. You choose how you pick up that 60 kilogram dumbbell. You choose. Yep. No one else. It's that simple. I, I Again, I'm very respectful of your time. I feel like we could have genuinely, I can't <laughs> yeah. believe how much we have, have gelled on this. And I feel like as we've got on to this, we've just gone on a, just on another planet. I would love yeah. to get you back at some point because on, on, on a level, I, I don't even think we've really tapped into the potential that we could go with you. And I know that you are ever developing. Uh, so again, I know next time I speak to you, you'll be a different version of you and hopefully I'll be a different version of myself. Yeah. Um, I'm going to push your music. I know as I said at the start, I wasn't going to talk much about your rap, but genuinely go and check t- uh, Tariq out. So that's spelled T-A-R-I-K. Type it into iTunes, type into Spotify. Uh, some personal recommendations from me, myself. Again, because he's not going to big his own music up, so I'm going to fucking do it for him because <laughs> again, he's, he's not told me to do it, but I'm, I'm just telling you how it is. Uh, so he's got a song, my personal favorite of his, it's called Everything I Am 3. Another one is Don't I. So that's the one that's on the computer game. Uh, and then another one called Yeah. 
Now, just listen to those three. He's also got one called 93. Now, if you want to understand about Tariq and his life, that, that uh, 93, let me quickly play it. I think it's one minute, 31 seconds. So for one minute, 31 seconds of your life, you get to literally experience what Tariq was going through in 93. This guy with his words, as I said to him before, off air, I don't listen to rap music very often anymore. I listen to heavy metal music, whatever it is, but I like words. And hopefully, having listened to Tariq today, you understand this guy is brilliant with words. Go and listen to this guy's music. Go and support him because, again, it, it will fucking help you out massively. Just to hear someone going through some shit and then to know the guy that you've just listened to right now for the last hour and whatever it is has gone through that and has now become the person you've just listened to should hopefully give you some hope. Now, Tariq, I know you're shocking on social media. Where can people <laughs> find out more about you? Where can people learn about you? What is the best platform? Because I only really went on Instagram. What is your best platform that people can communicate with you and follow what you're doing? Yeah, I would say um, I try to be very responsive everywhere. Um, I go by you know my government name on all social media platforms. So it's just Tariq Trotter, T-A-R-I-K-T-R-O-T-T-E-R. Um, Instagram is where I say I'd, I probably spend most of my social media time. Um, also on Twitter, um, also on LinkedIn, um, also on Facebook. Uh, no, Tariq, honestly, I'd like to thank you very, very much. I'll also put in the show notes your, the website as well, because again, on the website, it's got your, the latest music that comes out. Uh, I'll put a link on to your Spotify, um, which again, is linked to all your music, all your social media, stuff like that. Uh, this has been awesome. Like, it's been better than I ever expected it. And I'd like to, again, thank you for being so open, so honest and sharing your experience with everybody. Yeah, Daniel, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, thank you feels like a, an understatement. I really do appreciate you taking your time out of your day to have me as well. It's a blessing to be here and to speak with your audience. Honestly, I, I cannot wait to talk to you again soon. Uh, and I'll get you on and we'll talk about your your new book. Take care of that thing, mate. I'll speak to you soon. All righty.